Fifth Street Campus. Okay. Open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. We're going to be uh, in our second sermon in the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We start out last week uh, talking about uh, the glimpse of the glorified Savior, the glorified Jesus that we find in Revelation chapter 1. And that glorified Jesus is writing letters to seven churches. And we're going to start with the first church in that group of seven, the church at Ephesus today. So we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 this morning. Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at 1 through 7, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles. And are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. But I have this against you that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you. And remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Father, we thank you. Jesus, that we know you dwell among the churches. You dwell among our church. Jesus, we thank you that you see our deeds, that you know us. You know our rising up and our sitting down before there's even a word on our tongue. God, you know it. We thank you, Jesus, that you are great in mercy. God, that you have taken care of our sins on the cross. That you've empowered us with your spirit that we might live a righteous life, that we might become conformed to the image of your glorious Son. Father, I pray that you would speak. Give us ears to hear, God. God, I pray you don't take our lampstand away. God, let us shine. Let us shine in our community. In Jesus' name, amen. I got a letter this uh, week that was a first-time event. Hey, Pastor Daniel, would you go check with Jan real quick? She had a pretty full load in there. Just want to make sure everything's okay. Uh, got a letter this week. First time uh, event. First time I've ever gotten one of these letters. I've gotten a lot of letters in my life. Uh, this was unique, okay? Uh, it was an anonymous letter. Now, that's not what was unique. I actually have a file for anonymous letters, okay? Uh, so that's not what was unique about it. What was unique about this one was it it was a positive anonymous letter, okay? So it was a letter, and it was bragging on me, like, like saying, man, you're doing a good job, and man, thanks for the good word, and our church is great, and then and, and the people are loving, and man, just so great to be a part of Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church, and no, nobody signed it. Nobody signed it, and nobody even, they didn't even address the envelope. I mean, it was truly an anonymous letter 
that was positive. Now, that, that doesn't stun you. Why did that, I, I guess if you'd gotten like 100 anonymous ones that were not very nice, then that would be unique to you. How'd you like to get a letter from Jesus? Huh? I mean, to you, to your church. Not, not just this generic form letter like to everybody, but I, like to you. You know, hey, I, I saw what you did the other day. You know, I know this about you. I know that about you. Here's where you're lacking. Here's where you need to. I mean, that's the case in, in Revelation chapter 2, the church at Ephesus. They get a letter from Jesus, a letter to the church at Ephesus, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Remember, we talked about that last week. Not sure if that is actually like a guardian angel or if that's the messenger. I think it's probably the messenger to the church, my personal opinion. Uh, but Jesus writes a letter, and he begins these letters to the church at Ephesus. Now, why does he begin with Ephesus? I think Ephesus was the major city, first of all. And if you, if you, were, if you, were, if you were a postman in Asia Minor, and you're running a mail chariot, Okay, you would have started in Ephesus. Okay, that's where you started, and then you would have gone to Smyrna, and then you would have gone to Pergamum, and then to Thyatira, and then to Sardis, and then to Philadelphia. Okay, Laodicea. So in other words, th there was this was a route. Okay, so this was if you were an itinerant preacher, maybe you were a, a preacher who had a, a bunch of churches, like John probably did. Th this is the route you would have taken. You would have followed this route to these cities. So these were all churches and cities that John would have been very familiar with. Now. The church at Ephesus is unique in that it is probably the most well-known church in this list of churches. All right, let me give you some of the credentials of this church, okay? When Paul is passing through kind of the first time, he drops off Aquila and Priscilla. Remember them? Kind of a Bible-teaching husband and wife team, uh, well-known in the Scriptures. They... they they're at Ephesus, okay? They're there winning converts and teaching people the Bible, okay? Later on, Paul himself goes and stays there for three years. Paul ministers for three years in the city of Ephesus, okay? So they have Paul as their pastor. They had Aquila and Priscilla, kind of church planners. Then they have Paul as their pastor. Later, 1 Timothy 1.3, we learn that Paul sends Timothy, okay? You know, First and Second Timothy in your Bible, that's, that's that guy. Okay, Paul sends Timothy to be the pastor at the church at Ephesus. Later on from that, the apostle John, who's writing Revelation, becomes the pastor at the church at Ephesus. It's there that he gets arrested. It's there that he gets carted away, put on a ship, put on a, an island out in the middle of the ocean named Patmos. And that's where this letter is written from. So this church has been pastored by Aquila and Priscilla, Paul, Timothy, and John, all right? So it's all in about 100 years' time. So this is a stellar church, okay? This is a church well-known for good leadership, for good pastoring, uh, for making a difference in their community. This is a well-known church. Now, the first thing we see about the church at Ephesus in this letter is that Jesus knows exactly what is going on, Okay? He knows exactly. Remember last week we saw the description of Jesus. His eyes were aflame like fire. Remember we saw the, the blazing afterburner jet engine eyes of Jesus, okay, that, that tell us that he sees all. Well, that comes, that, that fulfilled, is fulfilled in the church of Ephesus where he starts out by saying, look, I know these things about you. I know your condition. I know where you're at. I know what you're doing. I, I know everything about you. You know, I, I think most everybody in this room, because you're here today, here, here's what I'm going to take for granted. I'm going to take for granted that you believe that. That Jesus knows everything about your life. There are some people that don't. Uh, the book of Psalms, Psalm 10, 11, says of the wicked. says the wicked says in his heart, God has forgotten. He's in his face. He doesn't see. Okay, so the Bible says that there are wicked people who basically say, hey, 
God's not watching my life. God doesn't care about my life. He's not interested in my life. He, no, nobody knows what I'm doing. I can do whatever I want, and they feel perfectly fine. I'm, I'm taking for granted you don't believe that. I'm taking for granted that you're kind of more along the lines of the psalmist, okay? In Psalm 139, verses 1 through 4, listen what he says. Oh, Lord, you've searched me, known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. I like this. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together, okay? I think we're probably most all of us in that camp and that we realize God knows everything, every conversation, every thought, every attitude, every, every loss of temper. Jesus sees all of that. Now, here's where I want to stretch you a little bit further, though. I would like for you to embrace this morning that not only does he see it, but he will also act according to it. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm not, I'm not talking about the forgiveness of sins that's on the cross. I'm not, what I'm saying is, Jesus is not a permissive parent. Hey, did you, did you have a permissive parent? Maybe some of you had, maybe, you know? A permissive parent? No, me neither. Uh, but a permissive parent is one that you realize they may be watching, but they're not going to do anything, right? Oh, dad's in his chair. He ain't getting out of there, you know? Mom, she's wore out and cooking supper. She's not going to bother with this. She may holler a little bit, but she's not actually going to come to it. You know what the thing about permissive parents? They normally raise children who get more brazen in their actions. Okay, why? It's not because they don't believe that the, that, that the parent doesn't see. It's that they're banking on, they're not going to do anything. Book of Zephaniah, God rebukes. Men like this, Zephaniah one twelve. at the time I will search out Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, I have this underlined in my Bible, the Lord will not do good nor will he do ill. So basically they're, they're, they're banking on, God's not going to do anything, okay? Now, now again, I, I don't want to accuse you of anything, but I, I think if there's anything that we're liable to believe that's false today, it would be that. Okay, And maybe we wouldn't even say that we believe that, but by our actions we would betray that we do. That, that, that we're kind of thinking, well, God may see my attitude, but it's okay, he's not going to do anything. God may see the way I talk to that person, but it's okay, he's not going to do anything. God, God, God may see the way that I'm living, but he's not going to do anything. And the reason I would say this probably too is because I think we probably would see of ourselves that there's times where we act that way. But here's... What verse 2 is very clear about. I know you. And not only do I know you, but Jesus says, here's the deal. I'm going to respond. You need to do this or this is coming. Okay? Jesus knows. Jesus sees. And Jesus will act according to what he knows and what he sees. Man, that should, that should create a somberness. Not, not somber in the sense of sad, but just of, of uh, the opposite of careless. That's what I'm trying to say. That, that, that should create a carefulness in our lives, just realizing that Jesus takes note. He sees, he's, he's observing, he knows our worship, he knows our, our staff meetings, what, what we say at work, what we do at work, our committee meetings, our, our team kid, our, our small groups. Man, Jesus is intimately acquainted with what happens in your small group. And not only does he know those things, but he will act. 
one of the verses I go to with forgiveness. If you ever come to me telling me that you, you're struggling to forgive somebody, um, I'm probably going to take you to Matthew 18. Great passage just on how much we've been forgiven. I'm probably going to take you some other place in the scripture. But one place we're going to eventually end up is 2 Corinthians 2, okay? Because this always just hits me like a truck whenever I read it. 2 Corinthians 2, Paul is urging this church to forgive. They've got this guy that's done them wrong, and they, they really need to forgive him. They're having trouble with it. And so Paul says this, anyone you, whom you forgive, I also forgive. What I've forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake. Now catch it, catch it, in the presence of Christ. Why throw that in, Paul? <laughs> Why, why throw that in? He goes right on to say, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, we're not ignorant of his designs, but why throw in in the presence of Christ? Basically what he says is, hey, I've forgiven this guy, and whatever you choose to do, remember, you're doing it in the presence of Christ. And do you hear that? Whatever you do, if you buck up and I don't have to forgive, if you do a little false forgiveness, I forgive you. You know? Whatever you do, you're doing so in the presence of the one whose eyes blaze with a flame of fire, whose hair is white like wool, his feet are like burnished bronze in a furnace, whose voice is like the roar of many waters, who holds the seven churches in his right, or, or sins amidst the seven churches, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who's the first and the last the living one, who died and behold is alive forevermore, who has the keys and death of Hades. You're doing so in the presence of that one. And so Jesus says, I know you. I know you. Now, either Jesus read those managerial kind of people person books or he wrote them. I think the second is probably true because he knows something important about, about people here. And that when he tells us he knows us, he tells us the good things first. That's kind of nice, isn't it? Uh, so he talks about this church and what he knows about this church that is good. First of all, verse 2, I know your works, your toil, your works and your toil. Okay, this is a church that is a working church. These guys aren't all talk. Man, the, these guys are at work, okay? If you show up at Ephesus, what you're going to see is these guys are engaged in gospel ministry. They're out discipling. They're out evangelizing. They've got ministry in their church. They're taking care of the poor. These folks are a working church, not just any kind of work, they're toiling, okay? There's a difference between work and toil, okay? Uh, toil is, is sweat to the point of exhaustion, okay? That's what the word means. It means to give it, give it enough energy and effort to where you're tired, okay? That's what these folks are doing. They're toiling. And Jesus says, man, I see that. I see every conversation that you try to exalt Christ. I see every moment of restraint when you're mad and you're wanting to give somebody the business. And for Jesus' sake, for his honor and glory, you keep your mouth shut and you don't and you hold it in and you put it on the cross and you give it to Christ. He says, I see that. I see every truth that's spoken, every need that's met, every act of kindness. If it's not a big deal to anybody else, Jesus says, it is to me. I see it. I see your work. I see your toil. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 42? He said, every one of you who gives a cup of cold water to one of the least of these, my brethren, by no means he'll lose his reward. What is Jesus saying there? The smallest act of kindness he sees and he will act upon. You see that? Not just he sees, but there's going to be a response from the king of heaven. He sees those things. And so he sees this for this church. This is a church that's pouring itself out, just like Paul did. Philippians 2.17, pouring itself out for the gospel. And Jesus says, man, I see that. Let me ask you, 
you're a part of Lincoln Avenue, or at least you're here today, and someone a part of us, okay? Are you, are you one that when Jesus looks at your life, and again, he knows, he sees, does he see you working, toiling for his name's sake? Now, I'm not talking about just any kind of toil. I'm not talking about finishing your degree, or starting a business, or working your way up in the company, or taking care of 12 kids, or whatever you're doing, you know, which is great, awesome, all good stuff. But, but, but specifically, does he see you toiling for him? Are there times that you look in your life, I'm laboring in prayer, I'm, I'm, I'm toiling in study, I'm discipling others, I'm building relationships, I'm sowing seed, I'm pulling the plow. Man, this, can you save yourself? This is me. When Jesus looks at my life, he sees work and toil for his name's sake. That's what he saw in the church of Ephesus. That's a good thing. Second of all, he sees patient endurance. He says this three different ways. This has got to be really significant. Notice in verse 2, I know your works, your toil, and then notice this, your patient endurance, and then skip down to verse 3. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. All right, three different phrases there that all describe that this church is willing to do hard things. They're willing to do the right thing even when it's hard. Okay? They're willing to do the hard work of the gospel. Man, Pastor Andrew has done a great job in our leadership retreat for our youth. Uh, whenever our youth, so some of the youth are ready to kind of take that next step into leadership, they go out to Colorado to Journey Quest, and, and, and we take them up on a mountain and we make them do something hard. Why? Why? Well, we love the mountains, but that's, that's beside the point, Pastor Andrew and I do. Um, the real point is, is that we give them a book, okay? And they got to read this book. And the book they read is, guess what? It's called Do Hard Things. And it's saying, look, to live the Christian life, you're going to have to learn to do hard things because being a Christian is hard. There, there, are, there are elements of serving Jesus and going against your culture and sowing seeds of the gospel and persevering in faith that are hard. And so you, you, you need to accept that. And that's exactly what this church was willing to do. They were willing to do the hard work of the gospel and to accept difficulty in their ministry. Did you know in high school, boys and I just got done, uh, Chase, Chase Hogue and, and myself were teaching uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Brian Billings was in there as well. And by the way, Pilgrim's Progress is the only book I've ever read five times that is as good the fifth time as it was the first, okay? Uh, it's so good. I love it so much. I think we're, this summer I'm going to just see if there's some adults or whoever wants to that want to go through it again. I mean, it, it's just great. You know, it's, it's this allegory, this analogy, this parable of the Christian life. And sure enough, Christian gets saved. He meets evangelists. He goes to the wicked gate. He, he goes to the cross. He gets his burden off. And he starts out in his Christian life. And guess what's the first thing he hits? A hill. Isn't that a great picture of the Christian life? A hill. The hill of difficulty, you know? I mean, man, he's trucking along, and all of a sudden, a hill. Can you, can you identify with that, okay? The church at Ephesus knew exactly what he was talking about. They were used to carrying the heavy load of ministry, of the gospel, of, of, of serving and, and, and teaching and, 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 and all that it means to be a church through difficulty. They were bearing up, not just for any reason, but for Jesus' name's sake. Man, that's the kind of church that this was. Verse 2, not only are they workers, toilers, they bear up under difficulty, adversity, they push through hard things, but they're a church that keeps their doctrinal integrity. Notice verse 2, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. Notice this, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. Then go down to verse 6. 
Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I, those all go together. Basically what Paul is saying here is that the Ephesian church is the kind of church that makes, they guard their walls, they guard their doctrine. Okay, that's the kind of church they are. And what's really cool about that is, is, is Paul. The last time Paul gets to be with these guys is in Acts chapter 20. So Paul knows he's going to Jerusalem. He knows he's probably never going to be back there. Good chance he's going to die. He's going to be executed. And so the Ephesian elders, they travel to the coast and they meet Paul on the beach. And so they all sit down there. And then Paul, Paul gives them one last, here you go, teaching. Okay, let me read you part of that. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves, to all the flock in which, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. I mean, Paul tells them, guys, here's what's going to happen in the decades to come. That was probably 30 years, maybe. 20, 30, something, I don't know, something before probably this was written. And, and, and Paul told them, guys, guess what? You're going to have people come in and they're going to say things that aren't true. You're going to have that happen in your church and there's going to be preachers on, on television. They don't have television. They're going to be preachers on, on what they have. They're on the corner, corner of the block, you know. And they're going to be saying things that aren't true. They go against the gospel. And that's exactly what happened. And this was the kind of church that was successful at keeping doctrinal purity. And so if you're in the church at Ephesus and you go to your small group and, and, and you start saying squirrely things about Jesus, guess what's going to happen the next day? Hey, great to see you. You know, hey, we brought our Bibles and some coffee. Can we sit down and just visit a little bit? You know, we want to talk to you a little bit about what happened last night. and You know, some things were some said and, and, and we'd like to go over those with you. That, that's, that's what happened the next day. If you were a leader in the church of Ephesus and your life didn't match the, the biblical doctrine or the biblical standard for a pastor, an elder, a teacher, guess what would happen? Hey, pastor, we love you. We got to sit down and talk to you about some things here. You know, I mean, this was a church that did a good job in protecting the gospel. They did a good job in not drifting into heresy. There were heresies all around this Nicolaitan thing. Uh, man, it was it was wicked. It was this view of Christian liberty that, that included, you know, you were just free to do whatever you wanted, right? So Jesus died on the cross. Hey, you're forgiven. Doesn't matter what you do. You know, just put it all on the cross. You can go be immoral. You can go participate in the temple prostitution in Ephesus, and it's all good. Man, Jesus says, I hate that. And you guys hate that too. And you've stood against that. And you've held to the truth, no matter the cost. That's the kind of church this was. So these are the good things. But, as you're going to see as we begin to walk through these churches, every church has its challenge. And, honestly, churches are not perfect, right? If you think this one is, man, leave now. You can still catch somebody else, okay? You probably already figured it out when I got up here. This is not, we're not perfect. We all, we all, we need to hear from Jesus. We need to have ears to hear. And where do, where do we need to change? What do we need to adjust? Okay, this church is the same thing. All that I just told you is true because Jesus said it about this church. They're hard workers. They, they, they persevere in adversity. They have doctrinal purity. They've kept their church online with the truth. But Jesus says in verse four, I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Now, you know what I hear people saying today? 
they, they have the view that as long as they're about 51%, it's good, right? You know, that, well, I got mostly good, and so my little bad, I, it's, just, it's just the way that I am. It's just my personality, Pastor. That's just who I am. Man, I can't tell you how many times I hear that. That's just who I am, which is really a state, silly statement because who are we all? We're sinners, okay? We're sinners that Jesus died for and put his spirit in us to make us not like us, like him, right? So just that's just who I am. That doesn't say anything. That's, just, that's obvious, okay? It's not okay to have doctrinal purity, to be a hard worker, to go through the, all the, the, the ritual of religion, to be faithful in service and all that and not have a love for God and for his people. Now, what, which does he mean here? When he says, I have this against you, you've abandoned the love you had at first. Okay, love for who? Okay, so it's talking about the love they used to have. Okay, but was that love for God or love for others? Hey, we just went through 1 John, didn't we? We spent about, what, six months in 1 John? What did we learn crystal clear in 1 John? We learned that you can't separate those, right? You can't say, hey, I love God, but I hate my brother, and that's okay. No, it's not okay, and it doesn't mesh. Okay, if you don't love your brother, you don't love God, because loving your brother is the way in which you love God, right? And, and, and don't say that, you know, that, anyway, you can't say it. L- listen to this, First John 5, let me read it. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever's been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. Remember the little triangle that we put up here? You know, love for God, love for others, obedience to his command. You can't separate those. You take one of those out, the whole thing falls apart. Okay, Th- those all work together. All right, and so when, when we hear John or when we hear Jesus saying, You've left your first love, what we must assume is their love for Jesus had decreased. It had gone the wrong way. And, and as that happens, your love for others goes the wrong way. And it's not okay. You say, but yeah. Pastor, what if you're working hard? What if you're the guy that shows up early to team kids? What if you drive one of those stinky buses, you know? I mean, surely Jesus overlooks, you know, how you might feel in your heart if you're driving one of those dudes with all those kids on it on Wednesday. Or, you know, what if, what if, you're, what if you're doing the hard ministry? What if you're, you're staying late? It's not okay. You need to love God. You ought to delight in God. You ought to rejoice in God. You know what's a really healthy thing? Is periodically to always come back to the Psalms. You know why? Man, you come back to the Psalms. What do you see there? God, you're my delight. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. God, you're my exceeding joy. God, I rejoice in you. God, you're my rock. You're my strong tower. God, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there's nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart might fail. But God is the strength of my heart. My portion forever. Man, you, you read of these guys who love God. They love him. Jeremiah 2, 1 through 2. God rebukes Israel for not having the love of a bride anymore. A newlywed love. You ought to have that. Jesus told us the greatest commandment is what? It's show up for church. No, it's not that. It's not what was it? Oh, yeah. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love him. Love him. There's nothing unlovely about God. Have you thought about that? What's not to love? When you see the glory and the power and the love and the mercy and the justice and the wisdom of God, you love him because he he is infinitely glorious. There's there's nothing deficient about what he's done in our life. 
The, the, the cross has no lack. The Spirit lacks no power. His plan is, is everything that we can imagine. Our future is full of immeasurable riches. What is not to love? Why would we not love God? Well, I think I know the answer to why our love might grow cold. It's because we've begun to love other things. Second Timothy, this is an interesting passage. It's talking about people who, um, in the last days... When there's times of difficulty, people fall away. Notice what it says about this, okay? Verse 2, for people will become, I'm going to read it the first time through unedited, and then I'm going to go back and I'm going to point out some things here, okay? So, for people will become lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Now, let me go back and read that again, and I'm just going to read the lover parts, okay? So, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, not loving good, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Do you see the contrast there? What's the contrast? Well, people be, they, they love the wrong things. They begin to delight in their self. They begin to be all about me. That's a lover of self. They begin to light in money. They begin to rejoice in what it can buy and, and what, what, what it can make me appear to others. They begin to delight in pleasures, okay? Rather than, rather than lovers of God. And so whenever we find ourselves decreasing in our love for God, my friends, it's not because there's anything deficient in God. It's not because he's let us down. It's not because he's not as glorious as he used to be. It's because we have begun to delight in something we shouldn't delight in. Something that's empty. It's a broken cistern. That's the way Jeremiah describes it. It's got no water in it. So we should should love God. That should increase and not decrease. Now, as we love God, we should love one another. Remember, those two go together. Okay, and our love for one another should continually increase. As you read in the New Testament, you'll find in 2 Thessalonians, or for no, 1 Thessalonians, Paul, Paul says, hey, you're loving each other great, do so more and more. You know, keep loving more. I mean, there's always a press. There, there's always this push to love other, others in Christ more. It's the way that we love God. Now, I wonder, as we look at, at what Jesus says about this church, okay? So this is the type of church, they work hard, um, they, they, they do difficult things, they do hard things, they push through struggle, they bear up under the weight of pressure, and they keep themselves doctrinally pure. They're, they're really good watchdogs in their doctrine. I, I wonder, do we see when... When people have certain, I got to be careful here. So let's say you're the kind of person that, man, you're always watching out for right doctrine. So someone says something in Sunday school, it's a little bit off. You got to talk like you can't not. Right. I mean, you got to whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not sure what you meant there, but here's what the truth is. Right. If you're that kind of person, what might be your natural tendency? Maybe to not love others, not be affectionate to God. Maybe, maybe. Okay, I'm not saying those have to go together, but but it would see it's interesting to me that that Ephesus is this way. When we get to Thyatira, it's the opposite. So let's say you're a person that's all mercy and grace. You know, you came out of the womb, doctor spanked you, you turn around and said, Thank you, you did a great job, you know, good job. You're that kind of person. Okay. That kind of person oftentimes they have a hard time with what? They have a hard time 
setting their friend down and saying, listen, man, you're, you're out of line. What you're doing, it's harmful and it's sin. And I love you. And I got to tell you, man, I'm, I'm not going to sit by and let that happen. Right? And, and, and so I, I, wonder if, I wonder sometimes if people mirror the church at Ephesus. Maybe, maybe some folks are strong in this area, but their weakness is in this other. I don't know, maybe. We'll, we'll see when we get to Thyatira, see what you think about that. So, it's not okay. So what does Jesus tell the church to do? Verse 5. First of all, there's three things here. Remember, repent, and do the work she did at first. All right, so first of all, remember. Remember. Remember from where you've fallen. Okay, so, so you're supposed to actually, here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to remember the affection you once had for God. Remember the excitement you once had for Are you guys listening? Remember that. I mean, do that right now. Remember, if, if, if you've fallen, and here's one, way, here's one way to know you're not where you ought to be, okay, is, is if you can think back in your past and you used to be here and now you're here. That shouldn't be the case, okay? The, Paul talks about, man, here's where I used to be, but man, I'm pressing on. I want to love Jesus more. I want to know Jesus more. So first of all, the act of remembering from where I used to be. Now, here's what, here's what the act of remembering does. It keeps us from having this sliding normal, okay? Now, let me try to illustrate what I mean by a sliding normal or a new normal. Okay, now this is not the case for M and I, but I've heard that for some of you married couples it is. And so I'm going to go ahead and use it as an illustration. But let's say that right when you got married... Oh, man, this was the case for him and I. Man, you just so delighted in one another. You know, you saw your, your, your spouse come in across the room or in the parking lot at church, and your heart just began to pitter-patter, you know, when you saw them, and you're so excited to see them, and they're so lovely and just so so nice and wonderful, and, and you're just constant affirmation of your love for them and constant texts or we didn't have text then, but constant, you know, calls and I love you and affirmations. And, and here's the thing, whenever those didn't take place it was glaringly obvious and then there would be a correction made right so so newly married loving each other delighting each other wife gets dressed up for a special day comes out husband's eating his cocoa puffs he doesn't say anything doesn't say you look nice honey you look beautiful he didn't even say he loved you when you left what happens well you get a couple blocks and tears and you text you know are you mad you didn't say anything you know and he's like oh i was just interested in my cocoa puffs you know and so he like texts back no i love you smoochy poo you're my fat you know sends flowers i mean it's immediate correction right immediate correction okay now fast forward 20 years maybe now wife gets dressed up looks really nice still eating them cocoa puffs and it shows he looks like it. She leaves. He didn't say anything. She didn't think anything about it. Why? There's a new normal. Do you see how dangerous that could be in your spiritual life? If at one point in your spiritual life, man, if you missed your quiet time, oh, your heart ached. Ah, i got to be with God. You missed church and... How about that? Let's talk about that for a second. You miss getting to worship. Man, I, I, I've seen this happen in people's lives, you know. Man, they come to see Jesus and they miss worship. And oh, it's just heartbreaking, you know. I mean, they were on vacation. They, they drove three hours to get to a church so they could worship, you know. But what happens if there becomes a, a new normal? 
And now, eh, eh. I read a verse or so on my way as I was driving. It's good. There's no correction. There's no... You see how that can happen? Remember. Remember the love you had at first. How about, how about with, with your brothers and sisters? Now, hopefully, again, hopefully this isn't true of us. Hopefully we're, we're climbing. You know, but as you look back, was there a time where you, you loved to be around the people of God more than you do now? Where you loved to open up your home? You loved to have people in it? You loved to s- discuss the scriptures? You love to be a part of whatever's going on just to be with the people of God and be able to serve and have a place. Is that not the case anymore? Remember. Remember. Now, repent. What does he mean by repent? Well, repent means to do a 180. So you're going one way in your life. When you repent, you turn and go the other. Okay, But, but here's, here's really what I, I want you to think of when you think of the word repent. Stop. Stop. Okay, so the the church has lost its first love. And, and, and what John Jesus is saying is, stop. Stop right there. Enough. No further. Not one more day. Not one more day with a cold love toward Jesus. Not one more day with a coldness toward others. No. It stops now. Repent. And then do the work she did at first. Man, that's... Question. This is a toughie. I think it's clearly true from the scriptures that heart should lead actions, right? Heart should lead actions. My love for God propels me to love you, right? Your love for God propels you to love me, propels us to serve, propels us to give. Okay, but are there times when, as we're repenting, We need to lead with actions, praying for God to kickstart our heart. In other words, are there times where maybe we don't feel it yet, but we need to do what Jesus says out of faith? I think so. Remember, repent, do the work she did at first. You know, I I see this even in just everyday life. I mean, there's times, Haven, baby, will you forgive me? Go ahead and forgive me first of all. There's times where I don't want to play with my kids when I get home. I just, Haven plays, wants to play You Shall Not Pass. That's her game. And what it is is, um, okay, we got the couch behind me. I'm on the floor on my back, okay? And she's trying to get on the couch. That's her, her okay? And I can only stop her with my feet, Okay. So, like, she'll run one side, fake me out, run the other. So I've got to switch. i got to, you know, my feet, I'm on my back. You know, I'm doing this whole thing, and I'm stretching out. And she's got this dive. She's really got it pretty good. She takes a run, whoo, in the air, you know, onto the couch. And so i got to catch her with my foot, you know. And I bring her down safely. Her mom gets mad, and, you know, it's, it's bad if she cracks her head, you know. And so i got to try to catch her with my feet and bring her down, you know, keep her from jumping over. Man, there's times, Dad, this play you shall not pass. Oh, but you know what? Here's the interesting thing. Sometimes when I'll say, you know what? It's what I need to do. I mean, I don't feel like it. I feel like being a vegetable. But I need to do this. And I'll get down on my back. And we'll start playing. Guess what happens to my heart? Pretty soon I'm, I'm having a great time. And I'm loving spending time with my girl. 
Remember, repent, do the works you did at first. What if you don't? So Jesus says a couple things here. First of all, he's talking to the church, but now he zooms in to individuals. Verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says of the church. What does that mean, have an ear? Are there people without ears? There probably are, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. Because in the Gospels all the time, he's always talking about those who have an ear to hear. You know what that means? That means that in any group of believers, there's probably some who are responsive, whose heart is tender. And they're going to hear. And hear means they're going to respond. There's others who aren't. Second of all, remember I said Jesus not only sees, but he, he's going to act. Listen to this. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Repent and do the work she did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. My, that is serious, church. What's the lampstand? We saw in chapter 1, the seven lampstands represent the seven churches. Jesus is in the midst of the lampstands. He says to this church that is faithful, this church that is serving, this church that is showing up, this church that is working in their ministries, this church that is doctrinally sound, but this church that does not love him or others as they ought to. Jesus says, if you don't repent, I'll take away your lampstand. I'll take away your light. Folks, Jesus closes churches. And that's a spooky thing. Could it happen to Lincoln? Absolutely. What, what do we have that Ephesus didn't have? They had, they had the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, and Timothy as their pastors, okay? I'm sorry, you guys got a bad deal, okay? You need to pray extra hard. We got to love each other. We got to love God. We got to fan that flame. It's, it's, not, it's not enough for us to show up and, and to go through the motions. That's not enough, church. Man, we got to always be working hard to stir up our affection for God and our affection for one another. And I think there's going to be times where we got we to do the things we did at first. We got to do them. You used to open your home up. You don't anymore. Why? I don't know that it matters. Open it up. You know, you used to to be plugged into people. You used to meet needs. You're not anymore. Why? There's probably a thousand reasons. Doesn't matter. Do the things you used to do. Repent. Let's pray. God, help us. Father, I just ask you, God, I ask you to leave our, our lampstand. God, I ask you, Father, to, to allow us to shine into our community. God, I pray that, Lord Jesus, you would keep our light strong, that, that we might be a testimony to our community, that we might shine into the neighborhoods of, of Woodward and of Oklahoma and of the world. Father, we ask that you would keep us from sin, keep us from the sin of, of not loving you and not loving others as we ought. God, help us immediately just to do the works we, we did at first. God, help us to, 
to care for people and be hospitable and rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. God, I pray that you would give us grace. Father, stir our hearts. Lord, you're, you're infinitely lovable. God, everything about you is awesome. God, there's no deficiency in the cross, none in, in your plan. God, you're good. You're faithful. God, stir our hearts to love you. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name.